1: will go
2: I'm a backwoods boy. I'm a backwoods boy.
3: This is Jim Strader, and welcome aboard, all you backwoods guys and gals. This is where we gather round, gather round Sunday evenings to. Share information with each other and hopefully uh, help folks enjoy the great outdoors more as we move forward. I'm doing open lines tonight if you're just joining us. The numbers 571 or 1 800 444 8484. We've talked about a variety of subjects in the first hour, and I'm sure. Those type of calls will continue (laughs) into hour number two. I had promised uh, in the first hour that sometime in the program I would talk about some wildlife observations that I've had in the last two weeks. Basically, I'll kind of condense it down to that area, and I'd love to know what you all have observed that may or may not dovetail with what I've seen. I'm going to start with some things that I thought were just freakish uh, that actually started for me in January. Uh, I was in Western Kentucky rabbit hunting, and I never recall seeing this in my lifetime. Saw daffodils starting to sprout out of the ground, and this was really just on the heels of that really cold spell that we had. I, I was just amazed that... There was enough ground temperature to make those stick their heads up out of the ground. Since then, I have been down in parts of central Kentucky, down in Grayson and Edmondson County here in the last few days. And, daggone, if the daffodils down there aren't actually developing blooms. Uh, They haven't bloomed out, but the yellow portion of the flower is already evident And you normally don't see that until sometime in March, early to mid-March. So this was, you know, way, way ahead of schedule and continues to point towards, I think, an early burst of spring. Skunks rut in February. Those of us who pay attention to such things and are out on the country roads know that they do, and they rutted a little early. Uh, They started – uh, in early February and, and have already pretty much finished out. And they were very evident. You smell them and you can see them on the roads. They're, they're, they're a critter that uh, it's not too hard to tell her on the move because they leave a, a telltale sign, if you will. Um, geese, in the last two weeks, have started parrying off. What I mean by that, they're breaking out of the flocks, the uh Male and female geese are starting to to seek out areas where they will start nesting. I think you're going to see them start building nests and laying eggs here in the next week or two in a big way because they've started that pairing process. Uh, Wood ducks are starting to migrate back into the area, and they're cruising places looking for where they are going to nest. If you have wood duck boxes, This is a great time before they really go to to getting ready to get ready to clean those boxes out, put new nesting material in them, do any repairs that you might need to do. That is a great fun project and one that shows great reward uh, in terms of your observations of those critters. Sandhill cranes have started migrating back north. I saw big numbers of them. In central Kentucky, when I was down there early in the week, and I've been hearing them fly over at night and during the day, and they are headed north. And that is a sure sign that spring is not too far behind us. Rabbits are in the midst of their breeding cycle. I'm sure if you've been out and about much, especially on some of these warmer, misty rain nights, the buck rabbits are traveling, looking for does to breed and they're really starting to bunch up and go through that process. Uh, Coyotes are becoming a big problem because they're having their pups now, and they're very aggressive toward domestic dogs. Uh, Several friends of mine have had problems with them here recently, one of whom had a dog mauled by them pretty badly here last week, and this was a situation where he had several Uh, squirrel dogs out and they attacked one of the females and uh, gave her a pretty good roughing up unfortunately on the good side of it the dogs going to be alright but you want to be aware of that if you got your dogs out and about in wooded settings or brushy areas where coyotes may be you will find that they are very very aggressive toward domestic canines when they're having their pups which is right now um also this week, the very first time I heard spring peepers. Spring peepers, those little bitty frogs that you hear uh, calling uh, early and late in the day, mainly in as we approach dark. And they have a trilling type of call that's very characteristic. And again, I was a bit surprised to hear them this week because it had been cold uh, up until the time that I heard them. And it was on the heels of one of those warm rains, and they were in our bottoms uh, down near Litchfield. And when I first heard them, I I couldn't scarcely believe it, but sure enough, that's what it was. This past week on some warm afternoons, I cannot believe this one because it seems really crazy. I have seen some honeybees and houseflies, and that really blew me away because here again, you know, we're in February, and it's been plenty of cold, and I was a bit surprised to see that, but be that as it may, that was a sure enough observation that I will stand behind. Water maples. Those of you who live on or near watercourses where you got a lot of water maples, and some people have water maples in their yards. It's one of the trees that's pretty common. Throughout the region, they have started budding. That uh, characteristic reddish purple bud that they develop in the spring is already starting to emerge, which is a bit of good news for squirrels because they love to feed on those buds when they first emerge. It's a, a very important supplemental part of their diet in the late winter, early spring period, and squirrels are. Uh, getting ready to have their young, and that will be in the next couple of weeks. March is the time when most of those squirrels will have had young in their uh, dens, and that type of supplemental food is very, very important to them. So that's something that I have seen pretty pervasive throughout the region. Uh, Back to the migratory bird situation, I've also seen some woodcock starting to migrate. And as you know, you don't see them around in the winter. You might see the odd one here and there, primarily in the late fall. Uh, but they have started their migration, and you will see woodcock and snipe migrating in a big way by the time we get to mid to late March. That's their normal migration period. But I've already seen some out and about, and... uh I thought that was a bit unique, too, and I'm talking again from the period of of mid-February moving toward me being on the air tonight. So these are some observations I've had, and I'd love to hear what you've been seeing out there. So the numbers, 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484. Coming back from break, we got Raymond on the line. He's from Houstonville. Raymond will be with you right after the break. The break is presented by SMI Marine. Tim Addington and his staff are ready to get you ready for the spring fishing and boating season. Remember, you never get soaked at SMI. And we're rocking back on Jim Strader Outdoors. The numbers to call us tonight, 571-8484 and one 800 444-8484, 444-8484, and let's go to Raymond, who's been on hold from Houstonville. Hey, Raymond, how are you? Uh,
4: doing fine, Jim. How are you? I enjoy your program and everything.
3: I sure do appreciate that, partner.
4: Uh, I just had a couple of questions I wanted to ask you. You were talking about birds. I haven't saw any robins this time, you know, and there's usually plenty of them around. And another thing I was going to ask you about the the deer, meat. is it safe to eat? You know, they claim there's a lot of infection in them, and uh, how can you really tell, you know?
3: Okay, uh, on your first question, I have just the opposite observation on robins. I'm seeing a, a lot of them around now. I saw a huge migration of them come through on that real bad cold snap we had, but I've in the last week or two seen a lot of them showing up, and uh, I've been startled actually by the numbers of them. So that's a different observation from my standpoint than. Then I guess what you're seeing, and that could be, you know, a, a area yeah, uh, right. difference, if you will. Yeah, right. Um, secondly, your question about the deer meat: um, what in particular is your concern, or what is your question?
4: Well, I've been hearing, you know, that they, that that they, uh, you can eat the meat and get, in, you know, there's they they carry some kind of infection, but how would you really uh, know? I mean, whether you know.
3: Okay, I don't honestly know of any uh, disease that deer carry that's transferable to humans. Um, This would include uh, the hemorrhagic disease. Uh, To my knowledge, there's never, in all the years that CWD has been around, which, you know, that's a chronic wasting disease that started back in the 60s, I I do not know of I could stand corrected, but I've not seen anywhere any documentation that that disease is transferred to a human being. Um, okay.
5: So, yeah, I appreciate your time.
3: Well, and, and I, I'll take that a step further. Obviously, if you see a deer or harvested deer that appears sick, emaciated, what have you, uh, I would caution against consuming that deer i have in the past shot deer that had obvious uh, wounds and infection in their blood from the result of those wounds and their meat didn't smell right the deer was in fairly emaciated condition and i would never recommend someone consume a deer that was in that type of shape so that's kind of a word to the wise i'd like to pass along if you will
5: thanks for your
3: time. Okay, Raymond. Thank you, sir. Let's go to Tony, who's got a question for us. Yes, Tony, you're up. Uh, Hello, Mr. Trader.
1: This is my first time calling. I really like the show. I listen to it as often as I can.
3: Well, I Uh, appreciate it very much.
1: uh, I'm not trying to sound like the old man of the woods, but you were talking about seeing different things like that this time of year, and and I've noticed the same thing. But mainly what I wanted to talk about, you was talking about the cows. And I've I've trapped ever since I was nine years old, and I've been a do wildlife control trapper for the last 20 something years. And I do have a lot of I have a lot of calls on people where the coyotes are bothering their pets and stuff. But all that said, I just want to ask you if you, because I know you talk a lot outdoors. During about the last eight, <clears throat> about, or actually ten or twelve years, I've noticed that. The fox, the red foxes, are, are get. I, I catch them right out of out of Harrisburg, downtown. You know, and i I talk about in the residential areas. And the only thing I can figure is they're coming in to get away from the cows, because you know the cows are digging their dens out. I just wondered if you, if you know anybody that see the same thing.
3: I've seen the same thing. A lot of my friends have seen the same thing, and and I can tell you what I think some of that revolves around and i'd love your comment on on the return here of what i'm getting ready to say i'm not so sure it's from them being run into those areas but the marginal populations of red fox which as you know tend to get wiped out by coyotes uh they're very aggressive towards them and they'll they'll wipe them out if they can the places that i see the red fox are one or two places either in and around urban areas, like you mentioned, where the coyotes are not as plentiful and the, the red fox can coexist a little better under those circumstances than coyotes, or B, in areas where the coyotes either, have either, A, been continually kept in check, if you will, by trapping, or in areas, and this is the big key, where coyotes have had a dial from disease, either parvo, uh uh you know the various types of diseases that, that tend to rim wreck mange, uh infestations, there's there's just any number of things that that is a disease can really knock count numbers back in a given area or habitat. And in those places I've seen the few remnant red fox build back up and become evident again. Do you share that opinion? Yes, sir. I do because
1: not, not to keep you on the phone for long, uh, a long period of time, but I can remember I, I hunted and trapped foxes for years. And one, as uh, far as I know, I think I called in and killed the first coyote that was called and shot in an mercy. I was calling those foxes. And, and I killed that one. And two weeks later, when Governor Wilson used on his farm, i won, 127 in Harrisburg. I'm, I'm sure you probably know what I'm talking about. It was the an Anderson
3: farm. Yes, sir.
1: Anyway, that, that said... We killed another one about two weeks later, it seemed like overnight the cows were here. And I trapped foxes for years, never caught one. And then after that, I, I was still trapping foxes. And I started trapping cows. But I just, I'll say this, and I'll let you go. I remember about 10, 12 years ago, I, I trapped uh, for a lot of sheep farmers, goat farmers. And this feller, I trapped for him and the neighbor. They live side by side. And his wife called me one time and said that, she had young foxes playing on her front porch. So this was right outside of Harrisburg in the county, which is right outside of St. Lemons. and I couldn't hardly believe it. Anyway, I got rid of them things, and about the next year, across the river from that, there, I believe it was the same old female that I drove her off, she built under a fellow's uh, pool deck. And, and, and now <laughs> I catch them a lot right out of, or, or run them out, uh, homes uh, right in Herdsburg and I, the only thing I can figure is mostly that that's caused by the counties I, I, I really do believe yes, sir. but anyway I, I thank you for I thank you for talking to me and I enjoy your show and thank you very much.
3: Thank you Tony those are some great observations I appreciate you sharing them. We got about two minutes here I'm going to go to Eddie from Shepherdsville. Yes Eddie you're up
5: Hey uh, Jim how you doing?
3: I'm doing good sir I hope you're doing well
5: I am. I got you as a friend on Facebook.
3: <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Thank you for oh, that. Yeah.
5: That's fine. I love, I love your show. I've been listening to it for over 20
6: years. You're the man.
5: What I, was wanting, what I was wanting to uh, talk to you about, that guy that called in about them deer disease, I saw that on the news the other day. And uh, this ain't a prank call, but they was calling it a zombie disease.
3: Yeah, I said see.
5: These here. Have you heard anything about
3: that? Yes, sir, I have. I saw the article, and I found it to be extremely misleading and misinformed. Uh yeah,
5: that's the, what I figured. I, that's why I called you. I don't normally call in, but that's why I called, because I figured you would know.
3: Well, CWD does cause those type of symptoms in deer where they're in a zombie-like state. I'll give them that, but some of the other comments and Statements in that article I thought were very misleading because there's not been, again, I will repeat, someone will have to show me a case where a CWD-infected deer transferred that disease to a human. To my knowledge, it's never happened. CWD's been in these deer herds in Colorado and western states since the 60s. And there's a lot of misinformation out there about CWD, quite frankly.
5: Yeah, I agree with you, and I believe a lot of it is politics. You know what I'm
3: talking about. I, I know. I know exactly what you're talking that's about.
5: That's why I called you. That's why I called you because I know you's the man of know.
3: Well, I, I'll give it to you straight the way I I see it, and I've talked to a lot of experts about it. We'll we'll be talking about that in future programs. So stay tuned. I appreciate you calling, sir.
5: All right, brother, and I'll talk
3: to you later. Thank you. we got to go to break. The break's presented by SMI Marine. You never get soaked at SMI. Welcome back to Jim Strader Outdoors. Numbers 571-8484, 1-800-444-8484. And let's go to Ben, who's calling about a deer question from Louisville. Yes, Ben, you're up.
2: Hey, Jim. Love the show, man. Thank you, sir. Uh, well, it was uh, kind of a this comment to the past couple of calls about CWD. I read that there's a couple of articles on it, but the interesting, and I first of all, I think it's baloney, but uh, did you happen to read that where they put the uh, uh, infected animal cells in with the human cells in a petri dish, and it infected the human cells?
3: Yeah, but th- as you know, that's, uh, that's not the way this works, so...
2: Well, I- yeah, I know, but it was just I just thought it was, I don't think it works like that either, but, you know, they're just saying it could, uh, you know, eventually come to a point where, you know, obviously not zombies, but, uh, you know, that disease might could transfer eventually.
3: Well, uh, it, it might could, but till when or if, I'm a skeptic. I, I, I want to clarify something. I am not, don't pretend to be any expert on CWD. However, I have researched it every place I could. I, I tried to stay abreast of things. There's uh, a professor at Louisiana State University that's come up with a, a theory, I will call it at this point, that it's actually caused by a bacterium that the prions in the brain that everyone thought caused it are not the cause. They are a symptom of it and he is uh, doing research on this, and it's a very long conversation about where it's going, but here's what I will tell you from looking at it objectively as I can. As I stated, these are the facts as I know them. I don't know of any known case of CWD transferring from a deer to a human being. That's number one. Number two, I do know that in the states where CWD has occurred, There hasn't been a cataclysmic uh, onset of the disease in those herds that either, A, destroyed the herd or caused any significant population drop. Um, Several states took a knee-jerk reaction to, to this disease, Wisconsin being one of them, where they found animals with the disease. They went in with sharpshooters and literally obliterated their deer herd. Uh, I don't see the logic in that. You know, if you, <laughs> how do you cure deer by killing deer? Um, and they've had, quite frankly, some regrets about that. Um, in the states that I've studied and and with the numbers that I've looked at, it it, it just doesn't bear out to be this big scare, if you will that that. Some of these folks are buying into, and honestly, the biologists, the scientists, the folks that that, uh, are involved in in wildlife diseases, they don't agree about this. But the facts that I just gave you, I think, should give one pause to wonder what this is really about. So we'll find out going forward, but uh, that's what I do know. Okay, and i yeah. are not an expert on the disease by any means. Let
2: me ask this. I don't know if I'm right or not, but I was told that uh, that's spread through, uh, for instance, uh, one deer uh, using the restroom on a plant, the next deer coming along eating it. Is that how it's spread in between?
3: They don't really know. They don't, know. they don't really know, Ben. There's a lot of theories about that. They're saying it's muzzle-to-muzzle contact. It could be spread in urine uh, etc. And honestly I haven't seen a definitive article or what have you that actually tells how it spread. There's some uh biologists and some folks that believe those prions, those uh uh aberrant cells in the brain are akin to Alzheimer's, for example. That in other words, it's not something where that deer actually spreads it to another deer. Now, the bacterium theory that's brand new, this just came out here recently, seems to make some sense, but (laughs) if you read the conclusions that that professor at LSU has about this that I saw through the Pennsylvania Fish and Game uh, uh, Department's spokesperson that spoke to this, they're saying if if we don't stop this, there won't be any more deer in the whole world, literally. They're saying that if this gentleman doesn't develop a vaccine uh, for hunters to put in the meat uh, to see if they've got CWD, will be in danger of eating the meat. His theory being it will eventually cross over into humans. I mean, I'm just not buying that at this point. I, I just... Uh, it sounds like somebody that's after a great big research grant to me, that's what that sounds like to be honest
2: with yeah. and it seems like that uh, if it was uh, if it was spread like that, it would be uh you know there wouldn't be deer population left if, you know because they're so close together
3: well the the best place to look at that as a i'll call it a laboratory, if you will, would be in wild deer that have been exposed to that in Colorado. Wyoming and those western states since the 60s. And there hadn't been any huge dials for their deer. There hasn't been any reports of humans being infected by it. You know, I can go on and on. So I'm looking at it a John eye and waiting for the experts to finally agree. That's, what, that's where I'm at, if that makes sense. Uh, uh, thanks, Jim. All right, Ben. I appreciate it very much. Um, let's see. Let's go to... Dan, who's calling from Indiana? Yes, Dan, you're on.
4: Hey, how are you doing, Jam?
3: I'm doing pretty well. I'm getting thrown a lot of questions tonight that take some explanation. I hope folks can appreciate where I'm coming from. <laughs>
4: You know, I told you that Dad went to me with Jesus a couple of years ago. He passed away, and he used to run a deer shop up here in Jennings County, Indiana, processed a lot of deer for a lot of people. And one of the things that Dad was thinking about doing before he died was he wanted to come up with a uh, a field-dressing uh, explanation that he could sell to people with uh, maybe a hatchet and some knives and things and to teach them how to teach the young people and some adults how to – Field dressed uh, deer correctly because we used to have them come in, they'd be half of the guts would still be hanging in the deer. We'd have them come in, they hadn't been field dressed at all. Sometimes, in like you said, 80 degree weather, 70 to 80 degree weather, and they still had the entrails inside of them. So it'd be a mess, and sometimes you'd have to throw part of the carcass away. Sometimes we'd have to throw the entire carcass away just because somebody was ignorant of the correct way to field dress the deer. So I think one of the things that we can do, the ones that know how to do that, to teach our young'uns how to correctly do it and maybe teach some of the adults that don't know how to do it so that they they save the meat. And uh, on that other thing, on the chronic wasting disease, you know, we processed literally hundreds of deers over the years, and we never seen anything, any deers come in uh, that would have that in or have problems. But like you said, if if it smells bad or it looks bad, when in doubt, throw it out. That's That was always our, you know, just our what we did with what we processed.
3: I, I like that statement. It's very appropriate. It's very appropriate. Well, thank
4: you, Jim, for everything you do. Hey, the Freedom Hunt's coming up in April with the kids up here, the handicapped deer hunters, and uh, they had their banquet last night, and we got a bunch of kids that will be looking forward to hunting deer, uh, the, or turkey, not deer, turkeys, in the, the spring hunt, the, this, uh, the Freedom Hunt, the turkey hunt here in southeastern Indiana in uh, April, so we're looking forward to that time.
3: Great. Well, I know there's a lot of folks looking forward to that, and I hope these turkey numbers are are a a good surprise. However, uh, I'm hearing bad reports about turkey numbers all over the place, just really a lot of concern from very, very seasoned individuals, uh, a lot of whom were involved in the early stocking of the turkeys, along with me, Harold Knights, for example, and David Hale have huge concerns about this turkey flock right now. Uh, I've got friends down in other parts of the western part of the state that share that concern, and the bluegrass they do. These turkeys are, are in a slide, and uh, I think it's time we really pay attention to that and perhaps take some measures to see that these youngsters get to enjoy the numbers we did because there's there's something wrong. I think some of it's obviously weather. Uh We've had some real wet springs year after year here the last several years, and that's bad for reproduction. we got a lot of bobcats now that we didn't have. We've got coyotes preying on them uh, in a big way, and quite frankly, some of these season lengths and starting dates are against what George Wright, our Kentucky turkey biologist who actually was the steward and or originator of our statewide flock, he warned us against these things, and we've run counter to it. And I'm afraid we're in the throes of seeing that he was dead on. We've done some things to take advantage of the of the flock that we probably shouldn't have done, and I'm afraid we're getting ready to pay the price.
4: Well, we'll call you in when when it's done with the kids. I'll call you in with the numbers that were harvested. We were down last year. I called you with that. We you and I talked about turkey numbers right. last year, so. Um, I, and I last year I might have disagreed with you, but I agree with you. When you look around, we don't have the turkeys we had here in southeastern Indiana a few years ago. That the numbers are down.
3: Okay. Well, I appreciate your observations. Thank you for calling. I got to go to break here, folks. This break is presented by Paul Thomas, my buddy, who is the broker at Mossy Oak Properties, Heart Realty, all kinds of vacation cabins, wildlife management properties, and farms for sale and will be glad to list your property as well. M-O-P-H-A-R-T, Realty.com. And we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. We've got several folks on the hold here, so let's get right to it. My boy Beanie calling from Pikeville. Hey, Beanie, how you doing?
7: Jim, don't add any more days to the week. I've been driving my life away. and <laughs> Like today, it's been a tough ticket.
3: I bet it has. You had to grip that wheel today, buddy.
7: Oh, my gosh. Either that or swim. I just, I'm just in Pikeville, Kentucky. And they had a landslide, and the road's been closed, but finally got it open. So, But anyway, uh, my wife and I have been flipping out because all of a sudden we have so many moles down our place down Patoka Lake. And we used to have mole chasers, those things that vibrate. It didn't seem like, you know, we had many moles, but I'm telling you what, it we are overrun with it. So what do you do to get rid of moles? Uh,
3: those mole traps that they have that you set on their, their runs that's uh, triggered when they come down the run are, are pretty darn effective. I don't know if you've seen okay. it, but it's a spring-loaded trap uh, with absolutely. looks like a frog gig on it. and when he trips yeah. the trigger, it, it gigs him, and they're very effective, especially if you you know, put them on those active runs. Well,
7: I'll tell you what, I don't know if I can afford about as many because all the runs we've got, it's crazy. Well,
3: I'll tell you what, they're yeah. getting very active now that the subsurface temperatures are warming up, and uh, they'll make a lot of trails, so you may not have as many as you think. They're just getting real active right now.
7: Yeah, Okay. Well, I just got to thank iHeartRadio because I never miss a show. Uh, you know, even if I got people on the bus, they love listening to you. So, continue doing the great job you do. And uh, I did get one big ten point this year at about seventy miles an hour on the on the uh, mountain <laughs> parkway. And I'll tell you what, you know, we talk about that all the time. Folks, do not ever swerve to miss a deer. Just put your brakes on, and if you hit it, that's what the insurance is for. You know, we know so many people that flip their cars and hurt themselves because they try to avoid those animals on the road, and it's just not worth it, you know what I mean?
3: I do, I do, and that comes from a professional yeah. driver. Beattie, it's always good to hear from you. Let me get off so I can hit these other thanks, folks Jim. before we run out of time here. Absolutely. Let's go to Jim, who's calling from Independence, Missouri. Yes, Jim, you're up.
6: Uh, thanks, Beattie. Uh Thanks for taking my call. Um, well, uh, I have a couple of things to add to your uh, conversation about the deer uh, disease. I mean, one of them is that uh, the way I understand it is that only one out of five people would be susceptible to it. And then I don't know if, where you're getting they,
3: that information, but go ahead. I don't. I've never heard that. Like I say, there's never been any known infection transferred from a deer to a human of CWD that I'm aware of.
6: Oh, I may be talking about that uh, the other one, uh, but uh, then they also said that uh, it, it takes about ten years to develop any symptoms from it. So, you know exactly. I, I don't know, but uh, the other thing I was wondering: what's the name of that uh, uh, archery thing? Town archery. Uh, the, there's a, the Taylorville meets, and then what, what was the
3: Taylorsville Butcher Block? Yeah. Okay.
6: And then right after that, you, there was a, you a sponsor. Uh, uh,
3: Gun World and Archery Pro Shop.
6: Okay.
3: Incidentally, while we're on that subject, uh, and I appreciate your call, Jim, I want to give a shout-out on something that's occurring at Archery World, or Gun World and Archery Pro Shop. Uh, Alan Edwards and his staff are having a special meet-and-greet this coming Saturday, March the 2nd. And Jim Burnworth, who most of you are probably familiar with, he's the guy that has the highly popular Western Extreme television show on the Outdoor Channel. Jim Burnworth is going to be at Archery World 12 to 8 p.m. Saturday, March 2nd. Again, he's going to be at Gun World and Archery Pro Shop 12 to 8 p.m. this coming Saturday Saturday. That's in Corridon, Indiana, across the street from John Deere. They're going to have, uh, also going to have Isaac Kirsten, who's with WowAfrica.com. He is a, a professional hunter and tour operator in South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Tanzania. And Isaac will be there to give away a trip to Africa. And they're going to have sales items as well. So this is going to be a great thing. I'm going to be there. I can't wait to meet Burnworth. He's quite an accomplished archer and and unbelievable hunter. One of the most popular shows really on the Outdoor Channel. Again, and that's at Gun World and Archery Pro Shop in Cordon, Indiana, right across from John Deere. That's this coming Saturday, March 2nd from 12 to 8 p.m. So come on out, see if you can win a trip to Africa, take advantage of the sales, and meet one of the real Big names in the outdoor industry. Jim Burnworth with Western Extreme. right. Enjoyed visiting with everybody tonight. Great calls. I love open lines. And remember, you can keep up with us on Facebook during the week. It's Jim Strader Outdoors on Facebook. You can also access our programs at Spreaker.com, where we're on podcast if you missed the program. God bless, everybody.